Today's episode is brought to you by Day Drinking. Day Drinking is a great way to enjoy a picnic next to a lake in the Dolomites. However, it will make your friend's first attempt at hosting a podcast episode very annoying for them. Day Drinking! Grab a four pack and annoy Matt today! Alright, welcome to All Points In Between, and I am hijacking... Coo! It's a coo! Matt has taken over the airwaves. <laughs> yeah, I, I, am, I am hijacking this episode to bore everybody with a completely off-topic topic. Um, so, uh, thank you for somewhat begrudgingly letting me take this episode over, Martin. It's, it's okay. Bow down to our new glorious leader, Matt. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're, you're all going to really enjoy this. So um, my topic today is going to be agriculture, the exciting world of agriculture. Uh, and I promise you, you, you are going to learn something interesting, even if I'm only going to really briefly talk about travel or maybe kind of refer to it in passing. Um, but I am going to talk about the greatest person that ever lived or maybe at least in the 20th century. So Oh, I think that's perfectly fine. We've been doing quite a lot of history episodes recently, and my mantra with this show is that history happens in places. Places are where you travel to. So, close enough. And, yeah, people will be able to travel to the place that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I, I'm also going to talk about my other favourite topic, which, as anyone who's heard the episode that I've been on, has been food. So, uh that's another thing I'm going to really like I said I'm just turning it into a food and history podcast for at least one episode until mine kicks me off uh, oh it's so. oh it's okay we uh, I've been doing so many food episodes recently and I've actually been struggling to eat <laughs> recently I've had a weird anxiety thing about swallowing it's made the food episodes somewhat difficult but well, hope, anyway this one's going to be a bit more abstract uh, so I'm going to start our story. You, you're uh, not three... you're not going to make me eat any more weird um, buns with mashed up beans in them, are you? No, not 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 right now. I mean, I can't because obviously you, you've left the country, and I think that might have been part of the reason. Um, but we'll get, we'll get a little to bit, that a little bit. <laughs> so we're going to start our story 3.7 billion years ago. So Bill, that's, that's our starting um, point. With, with a B. Billion. With a B. With a B. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm starting this episode at the beginning of all life. Um, it's going to be a multi-part series, I should have said. Um, I'm thinking about 100 episodes, Martin. If you could see right now, he's grimacing a little bit, looking a bit worried. Um, it's going to... Might take a while to yeah, get yeah. to the present. No, no. There we go. Don't, don't worry. I, I'm, I'm going to move fast. I'm going to move fast through the whole history of humanity and all life on this earth. So we're going to start with the beginning. Uh, and life started with food. So the, the, the leading theory is that we evolved in something called the primordial soup, uh, which I yum. think is also gone. No, I just said yum. Yeah, yeah. Your eyes lit up when I said that. Um, it, it was a mixture of chemicals 
that has sort of globbed together over millennia and it slowly becomes something approaching what you maybe get served at a Weatherspoons on a Sunday evening when maybe the cook's not working and things have been spilt no. or something and there's whatever. Well, how how dare you? I like Weatherspoons. Well, I, I, I mean, it, 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 <laughs> it was food, right? That's That's how life started. It started with something to eat. You couldn't have anything without something to eat. Yeah, and you can't have a provincial town without Weatherspoons, which gives exactly. you something to eat. The, the two are, are born together. So life started with that with food, and from that moment on, Tom every Weatherspoons Lambiriani. Yes, has been has been fighting for the biggest possible share of the pie. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't think Weatherspoons do pies, but I know. I, well, yeah. I, I mean, I had to change Lambiriani's. So, around 12,000 years ago, you see, I moved a long way, three, three billion years, we're almost done. Um, we developed agriculture, and we won the race. All of a sudden, we could produce enough food that we could build communities, develop technologies, computers, the internet, and six seasons of the TV show Young Sheldon. Um, that, that was definitely a big step back in our evolution when that happened. Well, I, I, I got I, that one from Google. I just started typing how many, and it was the first thing that came up. So that 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 to me, that was like that was my leading into to why to pick. To, you know, that's obviously our crowning achievement. Um, the sequel to the Big Bang theory. I couldn't get on board with the Big Bang theory, and I've not tried Young Sheldon, but I You're not can really imagine much. I, I can imagine it's a pretty big step back in our intellectual development. Yeah, well, that was until, so we, we we had this food, we had all this ability, we had the free time to produce network TV shows. And then in 1968, uh, a book was released called The Population Bomb. Okay. Have you heard of that book, Martin? It rings a bell. Is Is this going to be an episode about population control? Well, that's actually what they advocated for. It was written by two scientists, Paul Ehrlich and Anne Howell, Howland Ehrlich, husband and wife, and they'd identified that the population in the planet was growing exponentially. Can I guess at the colour of the people they are thinking are growing exponentially? It was global population, and although they they, they did say that the that there was a risk. The the, the 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 highest risk uh, region was um, Asia and all the other you know developing world that was growing so fast, um, but hmm. the, the, they had a famous well, they had a famous graph and it showed how fast things can grow when they're growing exponentially. So you might have heard a famous story about um, rice on a chessboard, um, but there's an even better story that I like I'd like to use, which is uh, an old French riddle. Okay, so I'm going to set you this riddle. Okay. So you've got a water lily plant growing in the middle of a pond. And every day it's doubling in size. And after 30 days, it's going to cover the whole of the pond. Now, because it's growing so slowly, it starts so small. And it's just doubling, 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 doubling. It's hard to like take it seriously. So you, you're only going to take action when it takes over half of the pond. right? Mm -hmm. So what day... Would it take over half of the pond? Taking over half the pond? It, sorry, is is this a maths question? I I was never much of a maths kid. 
so it's a it's a, it, it would it will cover the whole pond in 30 days that's how long okay. it takes to cover oh, the whole pond. okay so okay so in that case i imagine that it would be about i don't know day 25 so the answer is day 29 damn it if you work was... backwards okay was... it's covering the whole pond the day yeah, before that and, is covering half. And yeah. And the yeah. day before that, it's covering quarter. The day before that, it's only covering an eighth. The day before that, it's covering a sixteenth. It's small. It's tiny. And then all of a sudden, it's massive. Okay. Yeah, that makes yeah that makes sense. I I didn't do very well in my GCSE maths. I basically need to be coached through it, and I was terrible at it, and never did it again. But. Well, I, I I hated it as well. Was, yeah, maths maths is, is 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 yeah. But that's that's one way of visualizing exponentials, right? You know, it, at first it's nothing, it's nothing, it's nothing, and then all of a sudden it just absolutely balloons. And the, the population does the same thing. If the population is growing, so that you know every two people have four children and four people have eight children. At first, you know, the population is smaller, 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 and then all of a sudden it just absolutely rockets up. So their calculations were that it would be almost impossible for us to create enough food for all the people that were going to be born. Well, um, I mean, Thomas Malthus has been said saying that since the 1700s. And he has. He was, has. That was when the population of the entire world was maybe, I don't know, half a billion. And here we are. Yeah, I mean, Malthus is famous for starting this whole debate and this whole uh, this whole uh, thing but people often forget Malthus because well he was wrong um, he yeah. was very worried <laughs> about coal and um, yeah we're not really lacking for coal these days um, we found other ways of getting coal and it's funny because in some ways what this hero did is similar to uh, the way that we managed to get ourselves out of that problem and even before that in the in the Napoleonic War there was a admiral who was terrified of running out of oak in the uk it took hundreds of years to grow an oak tree from a tiny acorn until a massive tree and we were running out we were cutting them down to build warships and there were no more oaks to be found and he would he was he would literally every time he walked out the house he would drop acorns everywhere he went yeah i think i i think i've heard that story and yeah like say we carried on getting our ships sunk by the french and we were having a bit of a ship shortage so yeah so um into this 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 population bomb steps our hero and our hero is norman borlach so norman borlach was an american scientist an agronomist and that basically means he was an expert in the science of soil management and crop production which is the natural background you'd expect for one of humanity's greatest heroes during the second world war he was already active inventing things. He at one point invented a glue that uh, they used to stick together the supplies for the Marines, which was otherwise just dissolving in the salty water of the Pacific. Um, but it was after the war that he started his main research on wheat in Mexico. So, you know, he traveled to Mexico. Uh, okay. That's some um, moving yeah, around. That, and he was interesting. There you go. That's our travel segment. And he, he actually carried the wheat around as well. At the time, they felt that if you grew wheat one area, you'd have to grow it there in the same place at the same time. He would move the wheat around. But the biggest problem they had was that the wheat varieties they grew were top heavy. They had these large chunky grains 
and then the stalks would kind of collapse underneath the weight of all of the wheat they were growing and you wouldn't really get anything and you'd be kind of you'd just be a whole big failure Okay. So Norman developed a new stocky, sturdy dwarf variety that was that was had these thick stems so that it wouldn't collapse, and it produced a lot more food in a much smaller area. So after his success in Mexico, who started to become a net exporter of wheat when before they'd been uh, importing it, he flew to India and Pakistan, which was the ground zero for where the population bomb was going to explode. At the time, there were real bombs going off in the fields he visited because India and Pakistan were fighting and also experiencing a famine. And in the midst of this, Norman and his team worked to roll out their special wheat alongside a variety of other modern farming techniques. They called it the Green Revolution. So actually, by the time the book, The Population Bomb, was hitting shelves, Pakistan was already self-sufficient in all grain cereal production because of the work he'd already started doing. And India joined them in 1974. And since the 1960s, food production in both nations has increased faster than the population. They beat exponential growth. That, that, is, that is pretty impressive. Um... I suppose the next question is when this was happening, like say in the kind of seventies, eighties, and they were picking up their production. What happens in the next twenty to thirty years from where we're sitting now? Because I can imagine that with the way that the world's changing, that that might not necessarily keep being the case. Or well, there are some risks i mean one of the problems is soil degradation and they're saying that um, the quality of our soil is is being deteriorated by modern farming techniques and he had a lot of criticism because he was implementing things like fertilizers and pesticides and he was a big fan of ddt so that was the uh, <laughs> pesticide that killed all the birds um yeah and um wasn't that the one that they dropped a lot of on vietnam um during the yeah, war and it did it did terrible terrible damage yeah. but he he was a big fan of uh well actually you know ddt i don't think ddt was the one they dropped that was agent orange but ddt was used in huge quantities for killing mosquitoes and it's an interesting story because it was one of the first ecological uh movements uh after the book the silent spring where we started to try and take notice of the use of this chemical but his argument was always that ddt saved more lives than it killed because if you think about it this way Malaria does not affect us much in the Western world, but in the countries impacted by malaria, it's massive. And maybe for them, the loss of a few birds or even lots of birds was not as significant as the millions of people that were dying from malaria. So it's an interesting sort of thing where you say, do we have the, and Norman always put himself in the shoes of the people he was helping. He would take, you know, he would think, well, in, in, I, I mean, I'm going to butcher the quote because it's not really a direct quote here. But he would say, if you were one of these people in one of these nations, you would be more worried about getting food than you would be about some honor, you know, honorable or various, the abstract notion of what's right or what's good. It would be about, can you feed your kids? You know, are you going to, are you going to have a future? I think that's very understandable. It's also... Yeah, it's, it is just a very difficult circle to square for us in very privileged situations like you and I are. When you think about countries that are still developing, 
and are potentially pumping lots of gases into the atmosphere, destroying habitats. One of one of the things that leaps to mind for me is that when Bolsonaro was elected, um, yeah, his president um, in Brazil, he was very in favour of basically chopping down large chunks of the Amazon. And his justification for that was to say, well, the Western world has developed by destroying its environment. Why shouldn't we be allowed to do this? You know, if if you're if you're quite happy doing this, then we should be allowed to do it too. And it's it is a tricky position to being to kind of start saying as developed nations and developed countries, oh, we did this, but you're now not allowed to. It's a tricky position because obviously that way climate disaster lies. Yeah, I mean, what what Norman said was he he was trying to improve the productivity of the land that we were growing crops on. So his goal was actually to have less land used to grow food so that there could be more land dedicated to, you know, protecting um, biodiversity. You know, he, I'm not saying he was a massive industrialist who had no thought for biology or anything like that. He, you know, he was a scientist. He knew that he knew that they needed to have an ecosystem as well. Um, and you know, his argument was, well, no, let we do this intensive farming in the areas we produce food. We use less land for agriculture so that more land can be used, and especially land that you know isn't even that much used for agriculture. And one of the problems in the Amazon is the soil quality is actually terrible. So you turn it that's, into a that's certainly a, what we've found over the years, isn't it? That um, when yeah. when bits of the Amazon get chopped down, it turns out that it's absolutely useless for anything other than being grain forest exactly because all of the nutrients are locked in the plants and they're not you know the soil itself is thin and it's 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 you know it's it's not it's not the prime agricultural land it's it's good agricultural land for a few years maybe but eventually it just get, gets run out and then you need more and, and that isn't sustainable um but Norman did get some accolades. He received the Nobel Peace Prize uh, and many other awards. He had streets named after him around the world. And on December the 6th, 2006, the House of Representatives passed a measure which said the lives Dr. Borlaug has saved is more than a billion people. But Norman didn't really agree. He said, when the Nobel Prize Committee designated me the recipient of the 1970 award for my contribution to the Green Revolution, they were in fact if I believe selecting an individual to symbolize the vital role of agriculture and food production in a world that is hungry both for bre bread and for peace. So he saw himself as a as a symbol, as not, you know, he, he wasn't taking the full responsibility for everything that he'd done. And for me, that's what cements it. Because I'm naturally wary of anyone who presents themselves as a hero. And I'd be downright terrified of anyone who'd gladly accepted the title of greatest person alive. And the fact that he did not makes me think that maybe he was. I would agree with you there. That sense of humbleness is, yeah, is is admirable. I'm, yeah, I'm sure that actually I myself would be quite happy with being called greatest person alive. But maybe that's a superiority complex or or an inferiority complex. I don't know which one. But 
I think it is I think it is a very good point about what he was able to develop over that time. And I suppose it depends on what ends up coming out of this in the future. Because I hang on, I'm I'm just putting my thoughts together. I'll yeah. probably cut this out. How does it feel to be the one responding, by the way? <laughs> it's quite good fun, actually. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm quite enjoying just being able to chip in and not have to write a script. <laughs> um, I suppose the point of this is how we go about escaping that whole Malthus idea on what happens with populations and with growth and with how we feed everybody. And I wonder what all of this means in the future. So we've talked a little bit there about environmental, well, potential environmental degradation. But what do we think this means for people in those regions where they have been able to grow food because of these developments, but perhaps in the future won't. Well, it's an interesting question. I mean, there was a famous bet between Paul Ehrlich and Julian Simon about whether or not we would run out of resources. And um, the argument against Ehrlich, the argument that Simon was using, was that human population was not the problem. It was the resource. And that, you know, you've got all of these people. Maybe if there weren't 8 billion people, how many billion people there were when Norman was around, maybe Norman wouldn't have been born. Maybe there wouldn't have been someone who did this. And all of those minds, all of those people were actually the, the key to the solving the problem. But the corollary to that is the population is now declining, or at least it will be soon. So we think in the next 100 years or so, we're going to start to get to a stability point and then we're going to start declining overall in global population. So the next yeah, problem... I think, I think they've said about 2040, isn't it, that yeah. they're expecting population to reach its peak and then the development of modern lifestyles means that people have fewer kids and you know perhaps wait till they're a bit older and or they just go off and drive around in a van and don't have children at all <laughs> from what i've read that seems to be where things will peak and then tail off so it's whether we get to that stage it's just more what happens with the land that we currently use between now and about 20 years from now uh, when those areas start becoming uninhabitable which is the worrying part, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, global warming is the next is the next big challenge, and it's a harder thing to fix than than the population bomb was. The population bomb, you know, was was a single resource. We just needed more food. Whilst with global warming, you need to. Well, everyone always talks about net zero. Net zero is not the solution. Net zero just gets you to we're not making it any worse. But it's already bad. Absolutely. And we have this sort of locked-in effect. I mean, they, they use the analogy of steering a tanker ship. We have this locked-in effect that we are heading towards higher uh, temperatures, whatever we do. And we're struggling and doing a half-assed attempt to stop making the problem worse as fast as we were. 
which is not enough. No, absolutely. And I think it does get to a stage where there is going to be a vast portion of the world's population that will need to be on the move over the next 20 years. Mm. And, well, I, I suppose we can say that this is also a travel segment of a what is <laughs> <laughs> ostensibly a travel show mm. that <laughs> there will be sorry, it's it's not really a laughing matter, is it? But there will be no. on, there will be people on the move. And it's what we do about that as an international community to deal with that situation. And personally the thing that I worry about is that we go further down the direction that we already appear to be going down of putting up walls and shutting people out because ultimately that's a, it's it's a decision that you make as a society to say actually we are happy with these people dying it doesn't matter if you're shooting them in boats or if you're just putting up walls and leaving them outside at the end of the day you're making a decision that you're happy with these people dying. And I am concerned that certainly just the way that we are, well, how, how developed we are as a society, surely we can find a less brutal way of dealing with the problems we've created than letting a whole bunch of people go into the wood chipper, so to speak. Well, especially as, I mean, half the point of this episode has been that population isn't a problem. You know, the, the, those people, if you'd let them in, they'd help. They'd they'd fill jobs. And, and I mean, there's a, the, the famous problem of Japan's declining population. And, you know, one of the solutions to that would be immigration in the same way that lots of Western countries are now basically being propped up by immigration. If there wasn't immigration, then they're population decline would be causing serious problems so i hope that at least some nations will be forward thinking enough to let those people in uh because it would be a benefit but you never know where the world be. like you say it does really fit in with the theme of the episode you do need these solutions that are perhaps a little bit against the orthodoxy to deal with pretty potentially catastrophic situations well but... that's the other thing one of the things i like about norman is that people on both sides didn't like him you know the environment some environmentalists felt that he wasn't uh, uh dedicated enough to the planet and obviously there are people <laughs> that didn't like what he was doing and uh, from the other side as well so that's generally a good sign i feel okay so is there anything else that you wanted to cover before we make a move no, I think we've done well. I think I know we we started with the beginning of life. We've talked about the 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 way that things go and world politics. Um, we've got at least five episodes here, I think. Oh, absolutely. So, I think the conclusion there is develop new technologies where possible. Make sure that you let refugees into your country because they are helpful, and also it's just not evil, and. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose with that, we will make a move. If you want to get in touch with us, then you can 
get in touch on Twitter using the um damn it, I'll do that again. It's not Twitter anymore, Martin, it's X. <laughs> it is not X. I will dead name that company forever. It's a bit like the Crossrail. I will dead name the Elizabeth Liners Crossrail forever. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to get in touch on Twitter, it is at all points cast. If you want to email us, it is at allpointspod at gmail.com. Thank you very much. And we have a minute left on Zoom, so I will leave you now before jumping on another chat. You with didn't Matt say how to get in contact with me. If you want to get in touch with Matt, then go back 3.5 billion years, carve your message into the DNA of the protozoa in the primordial soup, and it will grow into an elephant that has the message on the side of it, which Matt will see. Yep, that's the way. Thanks, Martin. Cheers. Bye. Bye.